0: it was so bad and so windy and we couldn't we were had to crawl on our bellies to get away from this saddle and on the back side of the mountain and my kids were really pretty scared and we were scared we didn't know what to do when we couldn't stay on the trail.
1: Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today we are talking, uh, we're throwing this one back a few years to talk to Cindy Ross who threw height, the Continental Divide Trail with her family. And if you know anything about the Continental Divide Trail, it is not easy. It is the hardest, considered the hardest, or at least the most remote of the three uh, triple crown trails, the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, and of course the Continental Divide Trail. Very difficult and maybe it'll inspire you to, to say, hey, I have kids now, maybe maybe these things are not off the table. But before we jump in, I do want to give a huge shout out to Rerouted, our show sponsor today. Rerouted is where you buy and sell used gear to keep it out of landfills, to get a deal, and to get something that's really unique. Uh, if you need gear, or if you're looking to sell some gear that you have, go to rerouted.co. That'll be a great platform for you to be able to get rid of it, get some you know money in your pocket help someone else go on an adventure, or find the gear that you need for your next adventure. Don't be, you know, things are going up in price all the time, shop used, does so much good for the environment, does so much good for you, definitely the best way to go. All right, let's get into it.
2: All right. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. Since through hiking season is just about upon us, I wanted to find another through hiker to to talk to you guys and explain and share their experiences. So I found Cindy Ross. And some of you may have heard of Cindy Ross. She's a longtime author, longtime and avid through hiker. She's got the cripple (laughs) track. She has a triple crown, which means she's completed all three of the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, The neat thing about it is she's written books on each one of them. When she did the Appalachian Trail, she did it as a solo woman hiker, which is impressive in and of itself. And then she did the Pacific Crest Trail with her husband. And then uh, the craziest thing is she decided with her husband to do the Continental Divide Trail with their two young children. And we're going to get into that a little bit because one, that's near and dear to our hearts, the Continental Divide Trail. But it's also interesting because not a lot of people take children on this trail. And this is something I definitely want to hear a lot about. So Cindy, thanks for joining me.
0: Sure. It's nice to be here. Thanks. Good to have you.
2: So let's get into your background a little bit uh, before we get into the, the, the more current stuff. Um, the Appalachian Trail, what spurred you to go uh, go tackle this one as a single woman?
0: Um, I joined our local hiking club when I was 15. I had a boyfriend back then when I was young, and we didn't have a lot of money, of course, so we used to hike and walk, and even in at night, you know, in the evenings, that we had dates where we walked, and so I fell in love with that whole sport. And I joined our local hiking club. You didn't even need to know how to drive. And we were up on the Appalachian Trail in Pennsylvania. And I was 15 and I saw my first through hiker. And he didn't have a lot of time to talk to us. He was on his way, of course, to Maine. And I just remember was just completely fascinated with what he was doing. And back then at 15, that's all it took was to plant that seed that someday that's what I wanted to do was to hike that trail. And I didn't do it till I was 24, um, and I was in art school in Philadelphia, and decided to take some time off because I felt like I was dying a little bit. My spirit living in a high rise in Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia, and um, went off to hike the Appalachian Trail when I was 24, but broke my foot and had to end up doing it in two halves. Oh no! Fact, yeah. Back then I was a painter. My background is, my formal background is fine arts painting, and, and I've illustrated uh, four of my six books. But my first book, A Woman's Journey, is all hand calligraphy with 125 drawings. So I was still thinking I was an artist only back then when I did that book and did that trail.
2: Now, did you do the, the AT uh, going northbound or southbound?
0: Northbound. Okay.
2: So how was that? What were uh, what was just some of your experiences from the AT?
0: Well, I had a friend who um, he, he did the Myers Briggs uh, personality um, test for years with the thru hikers because I belong and started the all the the Appalachian Long Distance Hikers Association, and you know we have six eight hundred members, something like that. And he used to test all of us to see what we were. And ninety nine percent of most thru hikers, uh, long distance hikers, are introverts, and I wasn't, and I'm not. I am definitely an extrovert, so. Um, when when my, my partner that I started with um, when we broke up on the Appalachian Trail, I was very unhappy because I was in one of these you know b- bubble gaps of hikers ahead and behind and and was not you know that's not my place where I thrive is being alone. So I hiked fast and ended up tripping and broke my foot from a stress fracture. So. You know, I learned a lot about myself on that trail and I used to think I wanted to live in a log cabin up in the mountains like Thoreau but I realized how important people were to me I realized how important hiking being in the mountains and, and walking was but I also realized that I wasn't the normal through hiker either
2: <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you say that a study shows that you know a lot of people would say well don't would you get Uh, lonely out there. And in my, my thought, I'm I'm more of an introvert than I am extrovert. And I would think, no, (laughs) loneliness. That's great. Even there's no people around to bug me? This is perfect.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can only handle one night. That's
2: (laughs) That's funny. So you did the Pacific Coast Trail, uh, Pacific Crest Trail with your husband. Well, Um, only half of it. Oh, you Um, only did half of it
0: yeah, because he broke his foot out there. We weren't <laughs> together, yeah, <laughs> actually, he broke the same foot. Isn't that cute? But, um, I was out there with a group of people that I just gathered together because I knew at that point I needed support and company. so we um, he was ahead of me by a couple weeks. and it was one of the worst snow years on recorded history out in this in the high Sierra. and so he had to skip the whole Sierra because they couldn't ford the rivers. They were too high. And ended up going to Oregon and then fell in a tree well with his crampon, hit, hit a tree and busted his foot up. So he came home. I knew I wanted to hike the PCT in two halves because I knew at that point I also wanted to write another book. So then we got together halfway through the trail and he healed from his broken foot. So the second half we did together, but we weren't together when we started.
2: well you people are either clumsy or you just make (laughs) through hiking sound extremely dangerous
0: oh no you bust stuff up all the time (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: that's funny um so how would you compare those two trails we'll get into the cdt in a little bit um but between the appalachian trail on the east coast and the pacific crest trail on the west coast what where are some pros and cons of those two trails
0: well, the Appalachian Trail is such a social trail. There's 225, you know, Adirondack style shelters along the way. So, because it rains a lot and and you know you're on a ridge often so the water sources are often at the shelters so it's a very social trail and there's lots of road crossings lots of towns lots of hostels so it's a people trail if you want to be away from people you have to hike it differently southbound um, you know section hike you know not stay at the shelters things like that so you know that's completely different and also you know you don't have extensive views except for like down in the smokies or up in the whites in maine you're in the great green tunnel so which is okay cuz then that kind of hiking makes you internalize and you think a lot and you're pensive and but out west you know it's fabulous views and expanses and it's it's a different kind of mindset because your head is up and you're looking and you're, and it's just a broader kind of an experience and grander to me. It's difficult to do the PCT and then do the Appalachian trail. Um, or it's difficult to do the continental divide and then come and do the Appalachian trail because your, your bar of wilderness and experience adventure is much higher. So we always say that you know the at is like high school pct is like like uh, college and then the kind of divide is like grad school <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a good analogy I like that so basically if you're an introvert just hike the uh the at to south or north to south so you have to pass by the people and meet them face to face instead of walk along with them
0: they're doing they're doing a a whole program of flip flopping now and they're trying to get people to start halfway and go up and then come back to like uh spread out the people because it's so packed down at the shelters now. Wow. Of course, there's a record year since, A Walk in the Woods was filmed last year. Um, so it, there's a lot more people on the 18 now. Yeah, I, I think specific crest trail is a fabulous trail. The you know the the S- Divide is just you know one notch higher. When we were when we were in Montana, um, the one year. Um, we were out for a month and a half with our kids and our llamas, and we only saw one human being, and that was a cowboy riding the fences looking for breaks. I mean, we we had to have our own group because there just wasn't the people out there, and and that's the way that trail is. It's it's very wild. I mean, you you know they don't have very many bridges across rivers. We did a lot of map and compass. I mean, it's better now than it was years ago, but um, it's it's definitely one notch up in wilderness. So it depends what you're looking for. Um, you know, when you go on these trails where there's more people, you have more support. You don't have to, that. that you, everyone helps each other out. So, you know, you can be a little bit more greener as far as, I mean, look at Cheryl Strait. I mean, she didn't know what she was doing. And if she was on the Continental Divide, she might've died instead because there weren't any people around to help her figure out her stuff. So You know, it depends on your level of competence and how much you know about the sport as far as what trail you should do first.
2: So is it worth somebody getting on a plane and going to either the AT or the PCT for their first through hike? Or, you know, would you ward them off, uh, warn them about doing the CDT as their first one? What what is your opinion? Oh,
0: absolutely. I would never tell someone to do the CDT first. It's just too big. And... Too much. Um, Unless, you know, yeah, I think you need, it's much better. Your, 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 your success, you know, rate is going to be much higher if you have some experience because there's so many more things to deal with out there.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about the CDT then. You, As if you hadn't punished yourself enough with the the PCT and the AT, you decided to take the whole family on the CDT, which must have been a wonderful experience. But I'm just thinking, you know, that's that's a good long, what, five, six months every um, day. Well, no, we,
0: every we, day. we had to do it in five years, Travis. We, oh, that's right. We could you did only do sections. 500 miles a summer because we could only hike – in July and August uh, because that's when there wasn't any snow in the high country Be- except for New Mexico. You know, you're pretty much in the mountains the whole trail. So we only had a window of 2 months. So we only got 500 miles done every summer. We started when the kids were 1 and 3. We had 100 cloth diapers with us. So every <laughs> you know for 5 years we went out and our kids spent their formative years of their lives Growing up in the Rockies and hiking and llama packing, so you know we only we only did 500 miles this summer, which was enough for us. Yeah, L- exactly.
2: Yeah, I forgot you had done it in segments, but still, even doing 500, you know, with children along, because there's a lot of things that come up. Little, you know, there's children aren't exactly. Um, as open to doing these things as you are when they're little kids you know i know what it's like trying to get my my youngest daughter out on the trail and uh, our
0: kids that i mean no our kids were thrilled to death we could have done it every year for the rest of, of their childhood and they would have been happy they would never crazy. ever ever complained and you know but they grew up there you know we had we took sierra out when she was When she was three and a half months old on her first week long backpacking trip. And then we spent a year, a month and a half in um, the Southwest Desert when she was nine months backpacking all over the place. So now our kids grew up like that. So they were always happy. Even in bad weather, they were always happy because we always made sure that they were dry, warm, fed, you know, and all that stuff. I think adults are bigger babies than kids are <laughs>
2: that's probably true <laughs> well my son would go out there any other time time he uh, i would want him to go out but my daughter yeah she's not no, not so much she's more about dance and, and that kind of stuff so well you guys took uh llamas uh, you used llamas to to pack and to to help with the carry the kids how did that work i mean were they did the kids i assume they still did a, a decent amount of hiking as well right
0: well it was interesting because we have two different kinds of kids and my when well, my son was only like three um, that year, he was just very naughty and he would get into camp and he would take the tent poles and poke them in the side of the llamas and try to <laughs> rocks on and you know and, and he wasn't he wasn't a, a, a naughty kid, but we couldn't understand what was going on. And here he just did not want to ride. He wanted to walk and I go, son, you know, we are doing 10 to 12 miles a day and you are three and four, you know, can you do a two and two mile an hour pace? And this child did. He hiked two and a half miles and two and a half miles an hour and was never was naughty again after that. And my daughter she only got her butt off her llama when she had to like the hardest, steepest passes we made them get off and walk. And then up top, of course they always wanted to get off cause they loved hiking up top and coming down over a pass. But you know, my daughter and I went on to do some, some longer distance horseback riding then cause she just loved to ride. Now she loves to hike now and does, did, did the Colorado trail last year with her fiance when he proposed to her on Coney summit at the high point of the Colorado trail. But You know, um, my son back then just wanted to—he wanted to walk and didn't matter how little he was. So I forgot what, how I got off. What was the question that you asked (laughs) me?
2: Oh, just about how much, uh, how much they actually rode the the alamas versus hiking.
0: Bryce rode as least as possible, only like you know, ready for drop over exhaustion would he get up there. And Sierra didn't get off unless we made her so you know they it was wonderful for them to ride when they had when they needed to you know but uh at that age you can't make kids do 10 12 miles a day and over and over again and have them be happy. So the llamas are wonderful. Plus, you know, we carried a lot of food. They, you know, we, we had up to 16 day stretches that we didn't have to resupply because we had llamas. So that was very nice. And, and when first, you know, when we first started and we had, Bryce was one, we had a hundred cloth diapers. There's no way we could have carried that. So we needed the llamas.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask how you managed that and how much you could carry, because most people will will have drops, you know, mail drops uh, sent to stage along the way. So you guys were we able to extend We still had mail drops.
0: It. Yeah, we had uh, the Rocky Mount Lama Association – Uh, was our sponsors kind of and helped us and so we would get to a road crossing and we didn't have satellite phones or anything but my husband is such a good trail boss that we would be out for you know a 10-day stretch and we would get to the road within 10 minutes of our designated time and that could be sitting out storms or getting lost or whatever but we were always there and then people would bring us home and uh, give us the car and because you know do our diapers and go resupply because you know when you're backpacking you just stick your thumb out, but you don't do that with llamas and babies. So we, <laughs> right. we needed help, but um, that's how we did that.
1: Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
2: Let's talk about uh some some of the things you experienced um one of the things we like to hear about is just really truly amazing uh, times that just really cinched it for you
0: um a lot of them have to do with animal encounters um you know- ro- encountering huge herds of elk um that would thunder by and because we had llamas travis um they're really they're keen hearing and sight they would they would see game way ahead of of our ability to so we got to see a lot of animals because of them and you know to see huge herds of elk and then come up five minutes later and, and see all their beds in the, in the, you know, the grass that were warm and round and the kids would get off their llamas and lay in them and and knew that, you know, this this huge herd that just thundered by was all sleeping right there. You know, different times like that really um, impacted my children to care about wildlife and nature and things like that. And, you know, we were in a lot of storms, Colorado's famous for their thunder, lightning storms. And, when they were really little, our first year, we did the Colorado Trail first. You know, we would have to put up our tent like four times in a day because it was, the storms were so violent and the kids were so little. We needed a safe place to be, and so you know, I taught I taught my family, my kids, such amazing lessons about. Um, about choice and what makes you happy and how little you need and and the the value of of wild places and animals and not needing to be stimulated by technology and being out there for months at a time and and thinking and, and wondering and dreaming and all those things that kids don't get a chance to do anymore because their lives are so full of schedules and technology and things like that so i think those were our greatest gifts that that impacted us the most were just those those um day after day of just wondering you know the wonder of being in a wild place together as a family was such an incredible gift
2: yeah absolutely well what a great way to to set your children up for life i mean that's the impact that it's you know, probably made on them. It's got to be crazy. They must it's, take that was, with them. It was, adults.
0: Honest to God, Travis. You know, we we homeschooled in the beginning, and then I put my kids in in public school for seven years because I got two book contracts in one year, and then they never wanted to be there. And finally, I let them quit, and they taught themselves the last six years, and and learned what they wanted to learn. But you know, they. My one friend who has a PhD in psychology and and uh, childhood development said that. It was those those seven, eight years of, of their life growing up in the wilderness and and having all their senses stimulated and, 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 and reaching this unbelievable level of creativity. Um, that turned them into the most amazing human beings that my husband and I never felt like we could take credit for because, you know, literally they were just coming along for the ride at first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And it it it's like, we want a backpack and so we've got kids and so you guys have to come along. But, you know, what my kids are doing with their lives now and who they became and, and I know... I mean, a a lot of it did have to do with all the world travel that we did and and allowing them to, to study and learn what they wanted to learn in their lives. But it all came and stemmed from our time on the Continental Divide Trail and raising them in the wilderness like that. It just created the most amazing human beings. I mean, this is... You know, my new book that I that I'm writing about how I raised and educated them alternatively, I think if there's one thing I could ever tell any parent is you have no idea the kind of impact that spending time in nature with your children, what it's going to do for them. I mean, I, I was doing some studies and and Daniel Pink wrote this book called A Brand, A Brand New Mind I Think. And and he was saying that, you know, all these corporations all over the world are looking at students that have their masters of fine arts their masters in fine arts as opposed to uh, business fine art business uh, masters because it teaches them how to use their minds differently and to think creatively it didn't it didn't matter what they were making or what they were doing they wanted they wanted students who who learned and and looked at life creatively and that's what happens when you spend time in nature. Those senses are stimulated. I mean, Richard Louv and his book, Last Child uh, in the Woods and Saving Our Children from Nature Deficit Disorder, talks about you know, the level of creativity that happens when you spend time out in nature that, that impacts their whole entire lives, their occupation, how they think, you know, everything. It's, it's not just a little happy walk in the park. It, it turns them into different human beings.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, we older generations have grown up. You know, being kicked out of the house, essentially go go out, play, have fun. You know, there was no such thing as tablets and and things to just sit there and stare at. But you know, we've kind of lost that. Like you said, you alluded to you know, all the scheduling that goes on. Our Kids' lives are scheduled completely, and they're you know it's either that or they're entertained. I mean, I see cars going down the road all the time with a television on, and the kids are just staring at that television. You know, I. I was made to play games, you know. I played games looking out the window and long, long car rides. And kids Mm -hmm. aren't made to do that anymore. And that creativity is is going. And uh, I can understand why people would be looking for that for hiring people in the future.
0: Well, my kids grew up without a television. We never had one. So they didn't have that. And they never wanted one. So they learned to read and make things and put on plays and, you know, things like that. But, I mean, my daughter, she's in grad school here at Boulder, and she studies – she's a geography major. She studies uh, water issues in the world, particularly in the Himalayas, and from traveling so much around the world – she th- she realized that you can't separate indigenous people from their land from from the wild animals from water and that it's all connected and to look at the whole issue to try to solve some of these major problems that the world is looking at now which of course water is at the top of the list so you know she's seen how important and necessary it is to to have a happy life i mean which i mean even even oil doesn't matter to run your car if you can't drink water yeah, so
2: exactly exactly Well, let's talk about your books a little bit like i said earlier i mean you've written six books you're working on another two three of those books are related to your uh through hikes uh, the continental divide trail the at and the uh, pacific crest trail so the current the books you're working on right now tell us about those
0: um so i have i'm almost finished with a book called modeling a life. My literary agent has it out with some publishers now. And that is it's um, it's, it's kind of like a memoir, but it's, you know, it's inspirational to share how, how we lived and raised our children, hoping that um, parents realize the responsibility that they have, uh, that it's not just, the school system or whatever kind of school they go to that they have to fill in the blanks and help these kids learn what they're not getting anymore and and if we can do this, it's just like I always said, like, you know, I'm not telling you to take your kids across the Continental Divide for 3,100 miles. But if we can do this, you can go to the state park and you can take your kids out for an hour hike. And, you know, it's small bites. And so you don't have to pull your kids out of school and, and homeschool them or take them around the world like we did. But but just think about what else you can do to share with your kids to help them grow up to be happy adults who have selected occupations that are are their livelihood and their happiness and it isn't something that they have to wait till they're 63 before they can start to live that I think that as parents we can give our kids so many more tools and so much more to work with to to help them find a, a way to live happier and to be responsible for their own choices and happiness and it doesn't matter you know, in America, that's one of the wonderful things that you can rise up from wherever you are. There's a million programs to help you create the life that you want and, and the occupation that you want. And I think parents need to become inspired and take back the reins to contribute more to the, to their children's education. So that's pretty much what, what the book is about. It's our lives and how we raised our kids, but it's, it's just like all my other narratives. Um, this is our story, but maybe there's something here that you, will, that you will be able to use for your own family too. So that's one book. It's called Modeling a Life. Um, I was a life drawing model for 25 years. And so each four sections of the book, uh, four sections of my of raising my kids, I, it takes place on the modeling stand in the life drawing class. And so I'm kind of like exposed my feelings and my thoughts as a parent. And so I introduce each section of my kids' lives, like, okay, so... Now my kids are going to go into the public school and I'm looking at the students out there at the college and and I ask them, so why do you have all these piercings and tattoos and tongue bars? And and because I'm thinking about putting my kids in school and I don't want I don't want the public school to ruin their creativity. And one girl says, Oh well, I have a tongue bar because I like to play with it because I get bored and that's what I do. And I'm sitting there as a mother thinking, Oh my God, I I want my kids to have a higher level of adventure in their lives than have to resort only to playing with a tongue bar <laughs> yeah, and so <laughs> and also and modeling is also a very effective way to teach by by modeling your life so it's kind of a metaphor that's what the title is is about so that's my one book and then my other book is about i have a nonprofit now it's called riverhouse pa and it's um since my husband and I, we, we've been leading, you know, our children and friends across wilderness trips, whether it's long distance cycling, paddling and hiking. And, uh, we do a lot of long distance cycling. Um, I know, I know how to do it and I know what kind of peace it can bring people. And so I've been working with vets for the last couple of years, um, teaching them and, and showing them, that this place of, of nature and wild places helps you um, heal and get happier and brings you peace. So the the book that I'm working on is called War Path: um, Seeking Peace on America's Long Distance Trails. Whether it's um, paddling a long river or or a, a, going on a long distance hike, so every chapter will have a different veteran and how they used a long trail in America to help them heal.
2: Oh, very cool. Well, Those sound like a great books. So we'll look forward to them coming out for sure. Well, where can people go to, to find your books and find out more about you?
0: Well, Amazon has um I guess an author page and Barnes and Noble. So you can get all my books, even the ones that are out of print, um, you can still buy for like, I don't know, five cents sometimes, you know, four dollars for postage, but um, the, the, a woman's journey on the Appalachian Trail is has never been out of print in 34 years, so that that book is available. And um, S- Journey on the Crest just brought, was brought back into print last year, and that's about 2,600 mile walk across from Mexico to Canada. And then Scraping Heaven was just brought back into print a couple weeks ago in soft cover for the first time, and that's about our family's hike across the Continental Divide. So, online you can get them. Um, if somebody wants an autograph copy, they can email me at cindyross4 at verizon.net, that's C I N D Y R O S S, and then the number four at verizon.net, and we can figure out how to get them there.
2: Okay, good. Well, we'll definitely get the the links in our show notes. So, it makes it easy for people to find your books and to find your email and how to contact you as well as your nonprofit. Um, You had also mentioned pre-interview that you were coming out to Colorado, coming back out to Colorado, uh, to do some talks for the Continental Divide Trail Coalition. Tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, um, Teresa Martinez, the CEO of uh, the Continental Divide Trail Coalition, the Continental Divide is having a big birthday, so I'm coming out, I think like May 21st, 22nd, 20th, something like that. And we're, we're looking for opportunities to speak in the Golden Boulder, Denver area. Um, I have a multimedia little presentation about all three hikes and, you know, what it's like to be a Triple Crown hiker, what it's like to have your family out there, what it's like to be, a you know, a veteran. Like, I have so many things I can share about about hiking and healing and happiness and everything like that. So um, the Connell Divide Trail Coalition will be posting on their website and information about where I'll be speaking that weekend. But um, my husband and I are also going to be doing the Great Divide mountain bike trail this, this summer, too. We decided that we should just ride the whole thing from Banff down to Mexico, too. So we're going to go do that this summer.
2: <laughs> wow, that's going to be amazing. How long do you expect that to take on a mountain bike?
0: Um, We could do it in one season, but I think we're going to bust it up. and Because like when we had the kids... We got to the Colorado, New Mexico border, and the trail wasn't built through New Mexico when we did the trail, and the water sources were 40 miles apart, and we couldn't carry water like that for the llamas, um, because we only did about 10 miles a day with the kids, so we switched out our llamas and got tandem mountain bikes and pulled trailers. It was like 16-foot-long rigs, and we rode the Great Divide Mountain Bike Trail in New Mexico, so... Todd and I are thinking that maybe when we get when we get to the Mex- New Mexico Colorado border, since Teresa said so much of the CDT now has been built in New Mexico, we might decide to get llamas and backpack the last New Mexico seven hundred miles, just so that we've packed it and rode the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> <That'll laughs> Where you know when you start doing long trails like that, uh, Travis, you well, you know we are kind of. Um, Um, traditional where we don't do a lot of we don't do any skipping and there's so many hikers now that you know go on the roads and go around sections and and hitchhike but you know we don't do that at all we just don't want to miss anything and feel like, all right, we we want to go from the, the beginning to the end and we want to see everything and we want to experience everything, even the hard stuff. And, and so, uh, it means a lot to us to, to be able to have the whole trail finished. And we said, let's, let's, you know, hike it and, and, and mountain bike the whole thing. So you know, it just it, we're, we're just from a, a different mindset that we we don't want to skip trail. And everyone says, oh, hike your own hike. And that's cool for them. But we, we don't want to miss anything. And I don't know that's kind of how my whole philosophy is in life. I, I don't want to miss anything.
2: <laughs> yeah, I hear you. No doubt. You may only get one shot at this thing. You might as well make it good. <laughs> yeah tell me a, a story about a time when things didn't go so well on one of these adventures. And it could be, I mean, you guys have been all around the world, Asia, Africa, South America, Europe, and of course, United States. Is there a, a good story uh, about a time when things didn't quite go right?
0: Well, you know, it start, our, my continental Divide Trail book, Scraping Heaven, starts out with this windstorm that we had on the divide. And you know, our kids were I think they were three and five then they were pretty little and we were coming down on an open saddle and I think it was in the centennial. So I can't remember exactly where it was. And the closer we got to the saddle, the worse the wind was and the wind was so bad that we, we had to take our kids off the llamas cause they were scared and we had to hold both their hands or they they would blow their, their body away, but it blew their saddles off of the llamas so that, you know, they're cinched tight like like a horse saddle, but it, it blew them off so that they were dangling underneath their bellies and making them freak out. And and Sarah and I were, were flat on the ground screaming for help because it blew us completely horizontal. And and my husband couldn't even hear us. It was so bad and so windy and we couldn't – we were had to crawl on our bellies to get away from this saddle and on the backside of the mountain and – my kids were really pretty scared and we were scared. We didn't know what to do when we couldn't stay on the trail and it was the mountains were steep and everything. And, you know, um, we were raised Catholic, but we didn't, didn't, we were having some issues with, um, you know, spirituality and we felt God more out on the trail than we did in church and things like that. And so, the kids said, let's say a prayer. And all of a sudden, this double rainbow came out um, as soon as they said a prayer that, that we would be safe. And we ended up figuring out how to crawl around the backside of this mountain. And um, you know, after that, my my daughter who was five, she said, now, you know, why, why are we going to church when every time we go, we had this priest that that kind of preached hell and damnation and sin. And we had just gotten back from the trail that year after that this windstorm incident. And Sierra said, Why do we go to church when every time we go we feel worse than when we went? And it's like, yeah, because she's thinking about how she felt safe and spiritual and close to some higher being out there when she was scared out of her mind and and so we decided to to go to a unitarian church which was a little broad-minded for us you know, kind of <laughs> Fit our style after hiking the cdt but that windstorm you know completely changed how my kids felt about fear and and getting in a situation where they felt like you know they were alone and they needed some kind of you know a higher spirit to help them through it and like i said we're not real religious people i i tend to feel like, you know, being out in the wilderness and, and and reading a lot of Native American, you know, beliefs about the great spirit and stuff. And my daughter's Uh, husband is, is a Buddhist and they spend a lot of time up in the Himalayas and really, you know, it doesn't matter to me what you believe in. It's just, you know, try to believe in something that, that makes your life matter and whether it's love or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I think that windstorm, um, changed how we felt about organized religion and, and where, where, um, You know, spirit really is, and I think it it, to us it it is out in the mountains, in the wilderness, and so I think that was probably one of the most impacting um, uh, moments of our whole you know experience on the trail for my children too.
2: Yeah, I bet what a what a neat thing for them to experience and to to give some
0: thought about while they're hiking that trail. Yeah. They're so smart, you know. Kids, little kids are so smart. They just cut to the chase and say, "Why are we doing this?" It's like I I looked at my husband and said, "Yes, why are we? Why are we doing this?"
2: (laughs) Good, good question. (laughs) We'll get back to you on that.
0: (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Listen to those babes. They know what they're talking about.
2: (laughs) Right. So you have quite a bit of experience as an author. I wanted to dive in just a little bit about maybe some tips and tricks or advice for inspiring authors uh, from somebody that's, uh, that's accomplished and has uh, quite a bit of writing out there.
0: Well, it's interesting. Um Travis, because everybody, you know, everybody can get a book published now. And, and everybody that does any kind of journey is like everyone, everyone wants to write a book and everybody practically does write a book, which is fine, you know, because it's a, a wonderful thing to have a book in your hand of what you wrote. And but I think um, for anybody to read what you wrote, I mean, the the reason I write is to be a communicator and to share with people. Um, my story and what impacts me so that we can build bridges between people and we can know that we're not alone with this kind of feeling and thought. Like I have a a blog that I write, it's called Cindy Ross uh, traveler.com and you know, I write a lot about life and my family and my friends and experiences and, and I write a lot of personal stuff, but I want people to know that they're not alone out there. And so I think to be a successful writer, uh, and not just a writer, because um, you know a writer is just one who writes. So you know, it isn't that hard to be a writer. But if you're really in love with sharing and communicating and the written word and expressing yourself, it, the more you read and the more you write, you're going to get better at it. And and I I'm happy when people read my stuff and read my blogs. But but um, I, I write a blog for practice because cause I, I, I want to, I want to make that bridge between myself and my stories and my life and have people read it so that we can connect. Cause that's, that's all, it's all there is really is connection and people connecting to each other. I mean, that's all relationships are, and that's what writers want to do. doesn't matter if you're, incredibly introverted and you know you still as a writer your goal is to communicate and to share and so um if you want to be a good writer and you want people to read your stuff then you have to write and you have to read (laughs) and you'll get good at it and you know my background is fine arts painting and I had one writing class and got a C in college and never really planned to be a writer but I absolutely adore it and I'm also still a painter but you know um yeah anybody can write a book but can you write a good book and a good book is someone there's a book that someone's going to want to read and changes and impacts their life and inspires them and to me I think that to me that's the most wonderful thing in the world is to be able to do that and I feel incredible gratitude to have a lifestyle where I can be a writer and share and have people tell me that especially with you know being a parent and taking my kids out there I feel like I have so much to offer whether it's parents or veterans or whatever that I, you know, after all these years of being out there and experiencing these things, you know, I know it works and, and I want people to go out there and to use it as their sanctuary and, and be able to come back in normal life and function because they go out there and, and, and re, re resurge themselves and, you know, be able to get their spirit back.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Absolutely. Well, I'm hoping I left, uh, just enough time to squeak in a funny story from some of your, your world adventures. <laughs> well, I
0: was thinking about that, uh, Today when I was driving and, 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 you know, I have this, re- this crazy creative son who's actually, uh, he is now, he's an illustrator. He's going to illustrate my next book about, about, uh, modeling the life, but he, he designs craft beer labels and he's always, he's always been in love with the creepy and everything like that. But, um. When we were on the trail, he was really young. I guess he was four or something like that. And I was writing in my journal, and we were in camp, and I was stirring supper, and and he's saying, "Oh, you know, I'm bringing these bones out, Mom. I got my magic markers, and I'm going to make figures and faces. I'm going to put on a puppet show for everybody." And he's he's especially like you know like the big pelvic girdle bone. That's you can. It's a wide, expansive piece of bone, so that you can put a lot of drawings on. So it's like, all right, son, whatever, you know. And he's we're dragging out these bones and he's drawn on but he's back in the woods and he's complaining because he can't carry them on i go take one at a time and he goes i can't they're all stuck together so it's like what so i went out and looked and here you know it's it's got like flesh on the bones <laughs> he didn't even give a crap he just was so excited about putting on a puppet show and, and drawing on these bones and it's like wow son there's just no limit to to your creativity out here <laughs> the trail. If the
2: bones are still stuck together, they're not done cooking.
0: <laughs> Leave alone, you want it's like I realize when, I, when I look back now to who he was when he was a little boy. And his he's got this fabulous website. It's called Bryce Bryce Gladfelter Illustration and his B R Y C E. He has my husband's last name, G-L-A-D-F-E-L-T-E-R. And it's just fabulous artwork that he's doing. And I, I look back to him as a kid and and where it started at back there on the trail. And um it's just really cool to see your kids grow up and become who they're supposed to be and to be able to look back and see, you know, what you helped to do to help them figure it out. You know, I always said to my kids, you know, I I expect, you know, because my people, you know, some of my friends will say to me, like, aren't you proud of your kids? You know, it's like, yeah, I am proud of them. But I gave them this most amazing childhood and you know I want them to make the world a better more beautiful place and that's their job and it's not you know it's not something that that uh, I don't want you to go through life and just coast and just try to make money and that's all that you want to do but you need to help make this world a better place and make it a more beautiful place and it's neat to be able to see that happening it's nice if parents can live long enough to see their children blossom you know after years of Uh, believing that you were raising them the best way that you could to me it's out out in nature (laughs) yeah absolutely have have a heavy dose of that regardless of who they become
2: it's good to have a little validation that what you did was uh was good and healthy for them for sure (laughs) yeah great all right cindy well i know you're in a little bit of a time crunch so i'm gonna save our goodbyes here i really do appreciate you coming on the show and and uh, sharing some of your experiences with us
0: Thank you for having me, Travis. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, it was my pleasure.
0: You take care. Okay, thanks. All right. Bye.
1: First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to the show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.